Hello and welcome to the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. The Las Vegas Grand Prix has come and gone. The Formula One season officially wraps up this weekend in Abu Dhabi, and the Supercars season also concludes this weekend with the Adelaide 500. We are chatting all things Las Vegas Grand Prix, as well as all things silly season in the world of racing. Oh, and don't forget just the greatest street race in the world. Yes, I said that over Las Vegas, Chicago, uh, even Monaco. Uh, The Macau Grand Prix was this past weekend. And of course, there's, as has been the theme this year throughout the world of racing, there's even some legal drama building. So brush off your uh, seasons of Law & Order, because you're going to need them. Uh, yeah, you're gonna need them. Uh, you'll laugh and you'll cry as you listen to today's episode. We'll celebrate the lives of some amazing people in the auto racing community and even share some history from past uh, motorsports seasons. So make sure to follow us on Twitter if you haven't already at Robin Roller, spelled just as it sounds R O B A N D R O L L E R R Peters 33 R P E E T E R S 33 and then Roller underscore zero one. That's R O L L E R underscore zero one so let's go ahead and jump right on into the new segment today rob's racing report i'm rob he's josh i'm in indianapolis he's in charlotte we're talking formula one right now because uh we're gonna start with uh, like a lot of las vegas grand prix news uh and craig slater of sky sports f1 reports that formula one and the las vegas grand prix are looking at moving the start time up from the 1 a.m eastern time for next year's grand prix so it was 11 p.m local time it was 1 a.m eastern that's when the lights out for the las vegas grand prix happened so there did, is did you did you stay up and watch the whole race did you get did you get up I at did. one okay Okay, I, Josh, I, I did as well. One, I need you mm-hmm. to understand that I came home from work at midnight and got home at twelve thirty. So I was already up. So you were ready course, to go. You you were winding. You watched the race while you were winding down for yes, the day. I watched the race it, literally as I was winding down for the day. I was in bed. Um, I had some food and uh, it was great. It was it was truly wonderful. I, I might have taken I might have taken a quick nap before and then got up yeah. and watched the race. Well, that's how you know most people would do it. I'm I East Coast totally anyway. Watched it. Well, yes, exactly. Both of us we're on Eastern time, and uh, even though I think Indiana should be on Central time, but that's they should they should. Wait, let's start right here. Petition. Let's start a petition. Indiana should be on Central time, even though I live in North Carolina. They should be on Central time. They should be. They should be because I am so sick and tired, and I know this is great. We just started the show. I've gotten through one news piece, and we're already off topic. Great, great, great job, (laughs) us. Uh, But for the love of all that is good, I I cannot stand the fact that it was dark at 5 o'clock today. Mm -mm, mm -mm. I just – I can't. The fact of the matter is Indiana should not be observing daylight savings time. We shouldn't. And if we are, we should be on central time when we do it. Correct. So. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Time is weird. Time isn't real. Never forget that. Time is not real. It's not real. It's a construct created just like math by man. It's not real. So don't let it bother all, your life. All time zones for the railroads. Yes. Railroads were instituted. It. Remember that. I do know that. That is very true. 
Uh, all right, let's get on to uh, something more that we'll talk about later in the show. A local Las Vegas law firm has filed a class action lawsuit against the Las Vegas Grand Prix over the practice free practice one cancellation and then the delays that occurred on Thursday night. Las Vegas-based uh, Demopolis Law Firm and co-counsel J.K. Legal and Co- Consulting filed a class action lawsuit, lawsuit in Nevada State Court Friday night stating it is seeking damages, quote, on behalf of the 35 thousand people who purchased tickets end quote and didn't get to see practice take place so that is something that we will be monitoring in case you have not been aware the first practice for the las vegas grand prix was canceled when carlos Sainz and other cars basically the uh the downforce ripped manhole covers off off and uh caused significant damage to not only carlos Sainz's car but other cars as well and it was a safety issue and they had to obviously uh do what they did uh very funny though when we do talk about that is the fact that uh and i'll i bring this up only for context uh jenna fryer tweeted literally the morning of that practice that that practice was supposed to take place saying that the uh the track had had passed inspection just barely on time so it makes you think whether or not they rushed that inspection to get it done uh, so anyway, we'll talk about that here later in the news. But now let's talk about some entertainment news in the Formula One. The Formula One film starring Brad Pitt will be is now slated for a summer 2025 release per Entertainment Today. I think that is the first time we have ever cited Entertainment Today. I believe on it this is. show. I don't think I've ever typed Entertainment in Today in consecutive um, words like that on this show. I I believe this is the first. Yeah, that is. Definitely something that we have not done yet. Uh, And then (laughs) there's more. But wait, there's more. Now, this one was not by Entertainment Today. Adam Stern reported this. That CBS, CBS cares, Josh. CBS cares. CBS cares. (laughs) CBS is in the early stages of developing a single-camera workplace comedy starring Gunter Steiner. And hey, and in the wise words of Craig Ferguson... This is not a joke. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. It is. It is not a joke. It is really, really happening. Oh my word! I am. Things I, you I, didn't think you'd be reading on the rundown today. Yeah. How did this? Who thought? Is Gunter Steiner? Is he even actor? Does he have acting chops? Is my question. I think. I think. I think. Um. A drive to survive speaks for itself, Rob. But that's not acting. That's supposed to be a real thing. Speaks for itself, Rob. him in the moment. Speaks for itself, Rob. So what? They're just going to have him improv the whole time? They're not going to actually give him any line? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I'm intrigued on what could possibly develop from this. I I am too. (laughs) CBS has been out of ideas since the Big Bang Theory ended, man. Mm. (laughs) You're probably right. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on. That's the last of the Formula One news. Let's talk about some supercars news because the GOAT is retiring. Oh, uh, not Shane Van Gisbergen. Uh, I meant uh, Jack Smith uh, announced this weekend that this uh, that the Adelaide 500 will be his last as a full-time supercars driver. He plans to reduce to an endurance-only schedule next year, while his family sponsor, SCT Logistics, will continue to sponsor the number four Brad Jones Racing entry next year. No announcement has been made regarding Smith's replacement. So, uh, poor went out for Jack Smith, the man who uh, showed up 
vibed in P23, refused to elaborate, and left in every single supercars race he ever entered. Also, I want to say that he had nice, amazing hair. I love the fact that he is one of the only drivers in the supercars paddock, probably in the motorsports world, that is rocking long hair and doing it well. Thank you. As someone who also has long hair, I appreciate Jack Smith for rocking long hair. Thank you. My friend. Now, now, if only we can convince Tony Stewart to grow his out again, we will. Everything will be right with the world. Yes, Josh. I don't care what you're looking at me about. I Leah, Leah Pruitt will hair. not let that happen. There's no oh, way Leah Pruitt allows Tony hair. Stewart to grow his hair out. Well, it's a pipe dream. Okay. Uh, I have a wife that doesn't care if I have long hair, and I don't know. She encourages it. I'll say that. So I'm very. But yes, uh, the Jack Smith, like I said, showed up, vibed in P23, refused to elaborate, and left. That is how you could literally describe his supercar's career, and in all honesty, why not? It's also good to see that his family sponsor is sticking around and not just leaving with him. They're going to stick around in the sport, kind of like Menards did, even though they were involved in racing before Paul Menard. They st stayed in it, obviously, in a full-time sponsorship. Like, they weren't full-time sponsorship in NASCAR when Paul before Paul Menard, but now that he's since retired they've stuck stuck around so that's that's good to know that at the very least brad jones racing has a fully funded ride for next year that they can offer to anybody <coughs> hopefully it's scott pie um please let it be scott pie please let it be scott pie do not let this poor guy be without a ride next year i will lose it if scott pie is without a ride next year oh boy all right anyway let's move on into some nascar news and uh we do have to uh pivot a little bit here to talk about some of the sad news. Uh, this week, uh, we lost uh, one of the greats, one of the greatest uh, motor racing announcers the world has ever known. Uh, Ken Squire died uh, this weekend uh, at the age of, how old was he? 88, I believe. Yep. Um, yep. yep. And uh, he had been, uh, his health had been, I guess, failing for some time, um, but uh, still very sad. Very sad indeed. Uh, Ken was the person I always wanted to be. I always looked up to him. I wanted to be a motor racing announcer just like him. Um, and uh, I'll always remember some of his more memorable calls and his voice being in my head. You know, even, uh, even though I was just a small kid, you know, I still recognized Ken Squire's voice when I heard it. So uh, definitely just sad a sad moment uh for everybody as we mourn ken squire but then we found out uh also today uh on tuesday we found out that uh a, a racing reporter lost his life uh and many i don't know how many of you listening know matthew burrows but he was very active on twitter uh he owned uh a he he ran a podcast with a couple of his friends that was uh, and colleagues that was very successful he also had a a, a racing news website that he that he covered for he did a, he did a lot of great work for that he was uh very active very kind very friendly to everybody uh on twitter which is something that is very hard to say nowadays it's very hard to find kind and friendly people like that on on such a hell site but he was one of them he was one of them and uh he was very kind to me very very nice to me i didn't have many interactions with him but uh, I know many people who did interact with him on a regular basis, um, and it's it's just it's just very sad, a very sad moment. 
uh, to Lowe's, uh, not just Ken Squire, but then also Matthew Burroughs. Um, I'm going to be definitely miss them. Matthew Burroughs was uh, 35, which is which is scary to think about. You know, that's only what for you and I, Josh. That's only four, four five, six years apart from us. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of tough to see someone that close to your age, um, someone that you know theoretically you you could have gone to school with at some point if if, if you were. You know, and there's in the, in yeah. the same area of them at some point. Yeah. It's just uh, it's sad, but my thoughts, prayers are with his family, his friends, everybody in mourning, and then obviously Ken Squire, his family, um, and everybody who mourned him. Um, just just a sad sad weekend, but um, that is uh, that is the reality of life. Life that happens. Um, we live and then we die, unfortunately, but um, we remember. You know, we never truly die as long as we're remembered. So that's why we remember Ken Squire and uh, Matthew Burroughs today uh, on the show. Um, and now uh, I would like to uh, move on here to uh, the next piece of news, which is we're going to keep continuing on um, with NASCAR news. Some of the biggest piece of NASCAR news that was announced this weekend was that uh, Josh Williams was announced as the new driver for the Colleague Racing number 11 car in the Xfinity Series next year. He will replace Daniel Hemrick in that car, who he is moving to the number 31 Cup car for Colleague Racing. Um, Josh Williams, his uh, his sponsor Alloy, is coming with him, um, I believe, to sponsor, if not the whole season, the majority of the season. Um, so very, very good news there. Obviously a, a good driver. A lot of people have been very high on him. Um, so it's very, very good news. Very happy for him. Uh, and then a next piece of news here, Chase Elliott provided a life update where he explained he went through shoulder surgery and hopes to be at a clean bill of health by the start of 2024. And I could tell you one thing, there's a lot of drivers who have had successful surgeries in the off season and have come back and went on tears the next season. So if you were a Chase Elliott fan, I would, I, I think it's appropriate to maybe get your hopes up. Maybe not too much, but hey, man, it, it it would not be the first time someone had off-season surgery and then just came out in a whole as a whole new person. So, mm -hmm. uh, good good news there for Chase Elliott. Uh, and then this this is uh, interesting here. The NASCAR Pinty Series will now be known as the NASCAR Canada Series as the series adopts a similar sponsorship model to the Cup Series. Pinty's has remained a presenting sponsor and will be joined by recycling company Everium. So it'll be the NASCAR Canada Series presented by Pinty's and Everium. That will be its full name. Most people will just probably call it the NASCAR Canada Series. And of course, there's a French word for it, but French is weird. They don't pronounce the last end. Last ends of their words, Josh. That always bugs me. When you were learning, when I was learning foreign languages in school, I had the choice between French or Spanish, uh, or Mandarin or German. Obviously, I wasn't going to take either of those. Uh, but between French or Spanish, and I ultimately ended up on Spanish because you know what's nice about Spanish, Josh, is all the words are spelled the way they sound, and mm -hmm. vice versa. And it mm -hmm. is wonderful. So you never have to worry about Spanish spelling something incorrectly and that makes it incredibly it's just so much easier to learn the language at least in my opinion based on that so i always appreciated uh the fact that the spanish language i i, I still think that in in a lot of cases the spanish language might be the most superior language i understand that english is widely 
the best, like, the mo number one language, like, throughout the world, right? Most people speak English, or at least are bilingual, with English being one of the languages. It's a very common language. But it's also incredibly stupid. Yes. It is incredibly stupid, some of the words that we have in English. And we just steal words from other languages as well. And it's like, because we don't have English words for it. For it you know? It's... It's a dumb language. If if you really sit down and look at English objectively and compare it to Spanish, you would much rather learn Spanish as a child because it would be much less frustrating for someone to teach you that uh, through uh, and uh, though and, you know, all of those are spelled and sound the way they are. It's As a, ch as a second grader, don't you think that it would be a lot easier to learn, uh, you know, the Spanish uh, conjugations instead of the difference between throw, thorough, though, thought, all that stuff? Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of the videos I see on Instagram that, that and TikTok even that, that go into the explanation on why English is confusing to those who are learning it. And it is not their first language. It is a hard language. It is genuine. Yeah. That's why I said it's like between English and French. I would say those are probably two of the hardest languages. French, French mainly because, like I said, you don't pronounce the end of the words, right? So like you read a word and you're like, oh, I don't pronounce half of this. Oh, okay, how nice. <laughs> so what's the point of these letters? Why even have these yeah. letters at the end? You know, right. I feel like I would flunk a spelling test for in French class, whereas. We don't even have spelling tests in Spanish class because you don't need them. You don't need them in Spanish class. That's what's so nice. You don't need spelling tests. They just sound the way they're spelled. I'm going to stop ranting about this because uh, I'm sure some French Canadians are very mad at me for ta tarnishing the, the, the French words. The, the, the I'm sure. Quebecs, the people from Quebec are not happy. Uh, Jake Garcia is not from Quebec, thankfully. Uh, so he's probably not mad at me because he was announced as the new driver at Thor Sport Racing. Uh, he will be replacing the departing Haley Deegan, who will be moving up to the Xfinity Series next year. Uh, and then also NASCAR announced its new additions to the Drive for Diversity program for next year. Uh, Lainey Boosie. Bice. 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 That's how, how you spell it? Okay, I'm so sorry. Yeah. That is under no way, shape, or form how I thought that was going to be pronounced but tj decare is that right josh that's correct okay good good uh cassidy keat kite kite, kite. Yeah. kite. okay and then laquan mccoy jr wow that's the that's the one i can actually pronounce uh we'll join andres perez de lara lavar scott nathan lyons regina servant and eloy sebastian lopez falcon in the program for next year selfish wow, plug selfish plug oh, all have been with U.S. Legend cars. There you go. There you go. See, Josh, it's not a selfish plug because U.S. Legend cars is a race, racing series. You're, you're allowed to talk about U.S. Legend cars. I'm allowed to talk about supercars, and you don't watch them. You work with U.S. Legend cars. You can talk about them all you want. I don't care. It's <laughs> legitimate. It's legitimate to me. They race at the Speedrome. Hell, Kevin Conway is a U.S. Legend cars champion. That's all the legitimate I need. I love Kevin Conway. Uh, anyway. Anthony Alfredo announced that he will not return to BJ McLeod Motorsports in the Xfinity next year. Uh, so Fast Pasta is 
probably going to be ride hopping. I don't know where he's going to go next year, but it's kind of surprising to me. It's it's maybe DGM it isn't. Yeah, now well, yeah, now that Josh Williams is yeah. moving up, um, that could that could be a thing. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm 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 curious to see uh where uh what what all happens with BJ McLeod Motorsports because I know like it makes me wonder is he going to invest the live fast sale excuse me well and he can, he might he might invest or he might say like you know I'm going to recoup some losses and I'm going to well that that too but I'm saying like is given given the discrepancy between how uh, expensive it is to run the cup series now compared to the Xfinity series I feel like you know he's got the cup car right well, he's got what... Let's remember this. They sold that charter for forty million. Yeah, they got forty the cool so forty G's now. 40, let's pre- yeah, let's pretend G's. that Matt Tift and BJ McLeod each owned fifty percent. I have no idea what the cut. I know no idea what the break was. So, because of the the good old United States government, you're going to, have to pay some taxes on that and sale. Oh yeah, know. they took half of my Christmas bonus. Got oh, got to love Did it. You know that? Yeah, uh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, welcome to uh, taxes. In America, folks, it's well. I'm filing jointly now, so they were gonna just give me all that back. So, uh-huh. that, well, lucky you, nice. lucky you. Um, but to so he take. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that what he can get away with, what he can write off. But gotta remember, one team to to win a championship, it take takes eight million dollars. So it's let's pretend he only lost four million dollars in this taxes on the sale. He can only fund two teams, you know, fully uh, for one year. So yeah, he could reinvest a little bit of it, but you know, you got to be, you got to, got to, got to wonder how far he's going to take it. You know, and he's, That's I'm sure, true. I'm sure he spent a lot of money on the cup side. That is true. That is true. I just. I always like the idea of BJ McLeod getting a big old cash influx and then just coming out of the gate next year. And he's just... a guy that doesn't cause trouble. No. He's not. He's he's one of the favorite. He's everyone's favorite backmarker because to his own detriment, he doesn't stir up crap. No, he knows how to get out of the way, and he knows the right time to get out too. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's true too. I mean, he uh, he did what he came to do. He can't did what he set out to do. Owned a Cup Series team, made yep. all those starts, but he said it himself: like the sport evolved quicker than he thought it would. Yeah, and at that point, well, w- what are you going to do? You know, yeah. you've got to, you know, you come to a crossroads. You got to decide where do you, where do you, where do you want to go with this? And he, he, he made his decision, and you know, I'm surprised he sold it still, but given his explanations, it's not as surprising. Right. Right. So. All right, uh, let's go here. Nat, last piece of news. Last piece of news. This will be fun because we'll talk about this more on the show. Adam Stern reports that NASCAR has increased its pro- proposed mid-season digital streaming package from six races to ten. Stern also reports that Amazon and Turner's Bleacher Report Sports, which is now on Max anyway, uh, could get a slice. NASCAR could also announce the deals as soon as next week's banquet. Who? Who saw that coming? Not me. No. I really didn't know. I didn't really think it was going to come that soon. Uh, but I will say to that that respect, uh, I am very nervous about this. And I know we're going to talk about this later in the yeah. show. But I am very nervous about Amazon 
if if Amazon wins those rights. I am very nervous about what that might mean. Share share it later in the show. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm I'm alluding to it, Josh. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm alluding to it. I'm being a good radio host and keeping people <laughs> listening. Uh, let's move on to the featured paint schemes this week. Uh, we're we're continuing our uh, tribute to Kevin Harvick, who retired af- uh, two weeks ago after the NASCAR finale in Phoenix. Uh, he's going to move to the Fox Sports booth next year, and God help him, I hope he can make that train wreck of a broadcast better. Uh, hey, Amanda, talk- B- Amanda Busick and Jamie Little, just be your two leads on Cup Pit Road, please. Just have more pit reporters. I mean, that's true, too. But if just, you're on Nick two, you should have Jamie four at minimum. You should, you should, you should at least uh, three minimum. Three minimum. No, four. Four I has mean, to be the minimum. What? You have you're, to split it up. You're, you're. I'm, I'm not arguing with you on that. I agree. Four would be great, but if you're going to do a compromise, three is a compromise. Okay, NBC does he, a good job with three. They do a good job with three, but, it, but in they the, were so much better when they had four and five. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, when you had when you had. Genie's Alasco, Dick Bergeron, Matt Yocum, and Steve Burns. That is that was that was a great crew, and now where Fox is falling. And Genie Alasco is the only one in there who wasn't even like famous to begin with. Like, I mean, she did some MLB games, but then yeah, she she was an MLB basically. And, and and then as I've said, I think I've repeated this on the show before that she became the uh, court correspondent for Judge Joe Brown. For the, I did not know that. Yes, she. I remember this because I would come home from 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 school, uh, from high school, and in my room I didn't have cable. I just had an over the air television, and I would put on, uh, the the local channel here, Channel Four. This was before it switched to become from being an independent station to being a CBS affiliate. I would turn that on, and they would have because they would air, uh, The Simpsons at four o'clock. And I got home from school at around 3.30, 3.45, whatever. And Judge Joe Brown would be on at that time. And so I would just put this on and wait for The Simpsons to come on. And uh, I would always be amazed at seeing, oh my, the, it would just be like Jeannie's Alasco. And she would summarize what just happened in the courtroom before they went to commercial. Like that was, that was what she did. And then they came back from commercial and then Jeannie's Alasco would be like, Okay, we. This is what's happened so far in the case. Let's get you back into the court or something like that's that was what she did, and I could. I always it was like, wow, I did not expect to see her on this show as like in that role. Like that is always a weird fact to me. So yes, I. That's why I always bring that up because I remember watching Judge Joe Brown waiting for The Simpsons to come on at four o'clock. So. <laughs> And now you don't need to. Now they're on FXX at like two o'clock, so you don't. And then every episode's on Disney Plus now. So who even cares? Except one. You can't watch Stark Craving Dad on Disney Plus. So a reminder that physical media is best. I just bought three American Dad DVDs yesterday, with the bonus that Uncle Sam took half of. Well, well worth it, Josh. Well worth it. I have the first three seasons of American Dad on DVD now. It's split between four volumes, but it's the first three seasons. You're out of All right. What's your feature, featured standout Kevin Harvick paint scheme, Josh? Well, I'm not narrowing it down to one year. I'm narrowing it down to like an era. So it's 03 to 06 GM Goodrich flare scheme. That's how I labeled this one, flare scheme. 
you know, it may not have been his all-time most successful paint scheme that he ever wheeled around the track. Won a lot in it. Um, won a lot in this era. He won a brickyard in it. He did win a brickyard. I mean, it was, uh, heck, I think that was actually his first win in that car, uh, in the paint scheme, was that was the 03 brickyard. Um, but to me, this is the one where he kind of, like, he grew into his own. He grew into his own. He's Har- This is Kevin Harvick. This is Kevin Harvick's team. This is Kevin Harvick's sponsor, you know. Yes, GM Goodrunch will always be associated with the Intimidator, Dale Earnhardt. But it was during this time I think he earned his his stake with the GM Goodrunch uh, community. So it's just always my favorite. This is just always my favorite one. Uh, obviously, the gray and black. Shout out to the red and gray one. He also drove the Bud Shootout. Uh, that was a good scheme as well. But uh, yeah, the fl- the regular flare scheme that he drove from 03 to 06, great car, love it. Um, to me, you know, you always have, we've talked about this before, you say a driver's name and you have an image that pops up in your head, right? To me, when you, you know, I think of Kevin Harvick, he was in the four for so long, you know, 10 years. And it's either the Budweiser car or it's this car that popped into my head. You know, it's not the Shell Pennzoil. It's not the Budweiser 29. It's, it's, it's either this 03 to 06 era flame or flare scheme or the Budweiser scheme. So, but to me, GM Goodrich wins out. Yeah, man, I I agree with you on that the GM Goodwrench schemes were superior. Now, I did I did actually I will disagree on the fact that the I loved the Budweiser schemes. I thought the Budweiser schemes were the best Budweiser schemes of the. Now, don't get me wrong. The one Casey Kane drove iconic. The one Dale Jr. drove even more iconic, right? But the Kevin Harvick one, when they redesigned it for from this black crap in 2011 into uh the red can red and kind of like a can for 2012 and 2013 and 2014 absolute chef's kiss absolutely beautiful race car probably in still my opinion the greatest bud looking budweiser car to ever hit the track and i i say this as someone who still loves the bud 8 car i will see the bud 8 car and i will my heart will get warm whenever Mm -hmm. i see like a old picture of dale jr racing the bud eight car right my Mm -hmm. heart gets warm if i go out there if i go to an antique store and i see something with a red uh that's red with a number eight on it i'm gonna buy it right but this was a beautiful car now i will say though this is that is not the car that i picked the paint scheme that i picked is one that is often forgotten but i think still to this day it is this is a good This is also, I mean, it's a good scheme. It is a good scheme. It is objectively, in my opinion, the best paint scheme Kevin Harvick has ever driven. That I said that that is objectively a bold statement. It is objectively a bold statement, and I'm okay with that. Because the 2002 GM Goodwrench paint scheme was the superior paint scheme, and I'll tell you why. Thing that I always theorized about this and the thing that always made me really like this was because dale earnhardt never really liked to drive anything that wasn't a black number three he was pretty vocal about that you know he didn't like he wasn't a big fan of the of the peter max scheme no one Uh, was i was 
Well, okay, you're in a very, very, very small minority. Just saying. And I have a nostalgic reason for that, and I think I've explained it on the show, and I won't do it again. Um, I, and I also, I don't know how much Earnhardt, you know, like certain paint schemes that he drove. So I always kind of imagined that the good GM Goodwrench guys were always just kind of like, yeah, we're going to have to have a black car as long as Earnhardt's driving for us. And they had just kind of accepted that. Well, when Earnhardt passed away and Harvick was driving this white car, uh, I think people down at GM were like, oh, we have a little bit more freedom now. So they started looking at some – and I have no this – is, this is me theorizing. I have no – confirmation about this this is not rooted in any fact take this all with a grain of salt this is just my theory this is what i think happened i think when they were coming up with the paint scheme for the 2002 car they took a bunch of concept cars concept ideas for a dale earnhardt paint scheme and they narrowed it down to their favorite one and it was this one I always, um, not to interrupt you, I always viewed the O2 as sort of a transition scheme. Yes, right. You know, it was very much a, you know, you have the silver and the black. Mm-hmm. You know, you're mixing to the past yeah. and the future. You know, it was, it, I don't think they knew what they were going in O3, but I think they knew they wanted to give Kevin Harvick his own identity. Yeah. And... Personally, don't shoot the messenger. I was never a fan of the white and red yeah. on on Harvick's car. I wish they would have stuck with the white and black that he drove at Rockingham for the whole season. And Las Vegas. Uh, and, oh, he did Las Vegas too. Okay, I wish he, he was. Stuck he with- he he did he did Rockingham and Las Vegas with the black twenty nine, and then switched to the red number twenty nine at Atlanta, and that's mm-hmm. when he won. So I assume that that's why they kept yeah. it. I wish it was stuck with the black and, and white myself because I think it was a good inverse, good tribute. But yeah, not to interrupt you here, but I think it was a good transition scheme. I think I think that's what it was. They were trying to figure out the identity, but while still trying to honor the past. And what's what's absolutely crazy about this, and I'm just now noticing this, and I had no idea that What this, are we looking this, at? I, I am looking this yes, this is this is that is factually correct. The two thousand and two paint scheme. In 2002, Kevin Harvick finished the lowest in points that he'd ever finished and that he ever would finish in his entire cup career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2002 was not a good season for Harvick. Well, he won at Chicagoland. So Still finished, for, what, 25th in points? 21st. 21st. But, hey, man, he, for, for two years there, he was the only winner at Chicagoland. It was, that's true. Well, Jeff Gordon was, too, got Kansas. Jeff Gordon at Kansas, yes, year. you're right, you're right. Yeah, no, but no, I, does, I digress. I, I know there's a lot of paint schemes out there that are said to be quote-unquote cursed that I love. If this mm-hmm. is one of them, so be it. Just so be it. I love it. I'll always love it. I'll always think it's the best paint scheme. Um, and I wish, you know, I wish that there was at some point a throwback to this paint scheme. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Eh take what i can get most of the time i mean that's what i had to do just take what i can get <laughs> really um but yeah no love love this kevin harvick paint scheme um also funny look i'm just looking at his stats at a glance i can't believe this but that talladega race where he finished second at this year was the first time harvick was ever disqualified from a race in the yeah. cup series i can that's believe ins- that 
That's insane that he went almost his entire career without a single disqualification. Well, NASCAR really wasn't in the business of disqualifying people for no, most of his career but, either. But if you look at, like, from 2019 to, like, 2023, that was still his only one. And you could have argued that his cars were probably very cheated up yeah. when he was winning all those races. I don't know. Possibly. Yeah, well, it kind of depends on how, you know, NASCAR feels like uh, pay us a little something underneath the table. Secret finds. Well, that... That, too. <laughs> that, that too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Now I can't believe it. I saw Kevin Harvick second to last win in the Cup Series. Yeah, that's crazy. I that and, crazy. and I saw. I've seen how many of his brickyards in person. Just one. Damn. Just one. Oh, that makes me. That bums me out. Anyway. All right. We'll move on. Uh, we'll move on here into the upshift downshift segment. This is our debate segment. This is when we're going to talk. Mostly about stuff that we're very passionate about. Uh, we have a very big, uh, not a big, but a, a sizable slate of questions for uh, today. So if you're new to the show, uh, this is our uh, debate. Like I said, this is our debate segment. We'll be presented with a series of hypothetical questions and or statements and asked whether or not we upshift or downshift the, the question or statement. Uh, upshift means we agree with it. Downshift means we disagree. Sometimes we put it in a neutral if we don't feel one way or the other. Um, you can play along at home as well. Tweet at the show using uh, the hashtag AskRobinRoller, and then go ahead and uh, say at RobinRoller, spelled just it sounds, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. We will put out uh, these tweets to these questions, and you can reply right to them and play along. Or uh, the Spotify question of the week, which is a featured question of the week that we will put out, uh, and uh, that can be, if you're a Spotify listener, you can actually answer that right in your app. You don't even have to go onto Twitter. You don't have to go onto that Hellscape site. You could answer the question right on your app, uh, right as it is. So, uh, for, so we'll go ahead and jump on in to the first question of today's show, Josh. Richmond Raceway rebranded its logo and color scheme, while track president Lori Warren said, quote, we want to continue to have two Cup Series races every year, and to do that, we need everyone to come out, show up, and show off. Do you upshift or downshift that Richmond will be down to a single NASCAR weekend by 2026? Ooh. I okay. think that I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm upshifting. I think they're going to be down to one. Um... I really, do. I, I think I, I'm going to maintain that. Something I've been saying forever. I think most tracks are going to be down to one. I think they're you're going to be down to one date um, because you're going to go to other tracks. You're going to go to temporary tracks, other road courses. I think NASCAR wants to be on on a fair amount of road courses because they understand that's where you're going to get more of the international. Attention, especially once they get this new car dialed in on road courses. I would not be surprised if you see, you know, Road America creep back in. You see maybe Montreal creep back in. Um, Milwaukee might get a date. You know, you never know about some of these other other tracks and street courses out there too. I I I, I think Richmond's got a. Richmond's been struggling for fans. And the races have been struggling too, even on the even when it was good short track racing with Gen Six. I upshift. I think they will be down to one weekend. Granted, I think what the future NASCAR model will also be. I think ARCA is going to be ARCA East is going to combine into ARCA. We'll see like a 
an influxed Arca series, and you could see a lot of quadruple weekends on the East Coast with Arca, Truck, Xfinity, and Cup all being there at the same time, or within the same week. So I think, uh, yeah, I think you're going to see some of more Super Weekends, and Richmond will be one of them. You know, my, my take on this is uh, I, I firmly believe, in my opinion at least, I would be more inclined to go to a Richmond race at night than during the day just because I feel like it's a better atmosphere anyway. Uh, yeah, and I'm glad, I'm glad that they're moving one of the races back to the night. Uh, and they do, they do need to show up, though. These, these fans do need to show up to the same, in the same regard that they used to, but at the same time, the track and NASCAR as well have to show these fans, give them a show worth coming out to. Uh, yep. So it's going to take a lot of work on both ends. Um, and in all honesty, this is going to be kind of weird on how I shift, but this is honestly a neutral for me. And it feels weird to come right out of the gate with a neutral, but the reason, my reasoning for this is, is it all depends on what Richmond Raceway is able to do with, you know, either having one race in the day, one race at night, um, and how much NASCAR is able to work with the, the short track package on the next-gen car. Because obviously, you know, I think we've talked about this. I don't think they're ever going to put Sealer down on the track ever again. No, they can't They can't do that at worst asphalt out too much. I don't think it's ever going to happen again. So no. we have to just accept what we have. Um, and in all honesty, I think it. what we've seen with recent Richmond races have been very, very fun fuel mileage and pit strategy races. Yeah, And that is all good and fine. But that's not why people go to a short track race. You know what I mean? Right. Like, they, you, you kind of ex- passing, bumping and running. Right. Yeah. You kind of expect a race like that at a track like Michigan, at a track like Pocono, at a, even a mile and a half in some races, cases, at even IMS, Brickyard. Brickyard's always a fuel mileage race. You know, it. that's kind of what you expect, and that's what people expect when they go to those races. But when they go to a short track race, they are expecting to see some sort of on-track action. Uh, involves contact, involves sparks flying, that is, involves smoke flying, something like that. And even though from a TV perspective, we might be sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, this is so much fun to watch the pit strategies and everything. It's, it's so enjoyable. But the fans are not coming out for that. Especially not fans coming to a short track. Um, and if NASCAR is not going to allow IndyCar to come to Richmond, they're going to have to find a way to make races work. So, you know, it's, it's kind of unusual for me because it's going to depend on a lot of factors. Because uh, if NASCAR comes out and ha- comes out with a better short track package for next year, and it's an incredible race, you know, and the mm-hmm. first race, you know, might not have a lot of people come, but they see a great race, and then they think, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll come to the next one, see what see what that's all about. You know, they go out to the next one, see the next one, then maybe uh, for 2025, you go to that spring race, maybe that spring race is a little bit better attended, you know? Or, in, an, in another world, where NASCAR doesn't fix the, uh, the, the, the short track package, or the short track package is not as good as it could be still, or it's still a work in progress... You might see attendance continue to dip at Richmond because, again, people are are showing up for a show that they're not getting. It's it's exactly the same reason why people stopped showing up to Bristol. They were showing up for a show that they just stopped getting. Yeah, you know what they were buying tickets for stopped happening, so they stopped watching. It's the same reason why 
like the Daytona 500 still sells out. It's because it's the same race. The style of racing has not changed. It's still the same thing. When, when you buy a ticket to the Daytona 500, you know exactly what kind of race you are going to see. You do. When you buy a ticket to Richmond, you're not really sure if you're going to get a good race or a bad race. You know, and, and, right. and that could be, that's, that's objective. That's objective as well. So that's going to be even harder. It's going to be a lot of factors are going to determine, I think, whether or not Richmond has two dates in 2026. All right, so we'll, move ahead, we'll go ahead and move on here to the next uh, question. And this is going to be about the Las Vegas Grand Prix, which is good because a lot of people, I think, are still fired up about this. <laughs> Great. I we'll have a lot of questions radio. related to the Las Vegas Grand Prix this segment. I know, and that's good. That's good. I think that's people, people like that. Um, but our question is, fans were tearing down the view blockers set up around the track. Do you upshift or downshift these uh, fans? Uh, well, you know, I, I guess I, what did you expect? So I guess I upshift that people were actually, you know, <laughs> they didn't do a good enough job. Um, look, unless you, first off, I remember seeing this when Lando wrecked and I'm like seeing that bridge, like there's a lot of people on that bridge. Is that bridge going to hold up? I was just cringing. I'm like, please don't collapse. That was my first worry. I could care less about the view blockers, but you know what? It's going to happen. Unless you get up there and you actually build physical walls around that walkway. You know, the easiest thing is to station security guards to keep people moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Don't stop. Get on, get off. That's what they do at Charlotte. Right? Charlotte Motor Speedway has that, has that bridge pedestrian bridge on the roval the only people who are allowed to basically stand on that bridge and it's on the ends are photographers and track media or like you know team workers you have to have a pass certain pass to be able to stand there they obviously put up the 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 the, the signage there that it has a really it has perforated holes and you can't you, you gotta really look through to see it Keep, they keep you moving. There's no standing on the bridges. So what do they expect? So I, I upshift people actually acting smart and taking advantage of F1's lack of preparedness. Can I? Can, is that a, is that an acceptable answer? My, yeah. Why not? Okay. Well, that's that's my answer. I, I I upshift fans taking it into their own hands. Okay. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, also agree. I'm gonna upshift. Honestly, uh, I think the way that F1 came into town and did this to Las Vegas people. Number one, I think what's the worst part about this whole event is the way they treated the locals. They really wanted the locals oh, to come out and support this race, but then they made it absolutely impossible for them to actually do it. And then they crapped you know? on all the small businesses. Exactly. And and if you want my opinion, it, the, the bridges are, are a bit of a different thing. I mean, that that is, for all intents, I mean, that's a safety thing. You, you yeah. can't have a bunch of people on the bridge over a motor racing. I mean, if it collapses, bad things are going to happen. Very, 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 very bad things are going to happen. Like sport-ending yeah. things are going to happen. So you have to think about that in safety. Um, at the same time, I think fans tearing down some of those view blockers on the surface level, totally fine. I think that's the right thing to do. They did the right thing. Uh, those should not have been there to begin with. 
um, because let's be honest with with ourselves. I've never seen a race from looking from the outside in and had a good view of it. Usually if I'm doing that, it's only because, oh, hey, this is kind of cool. I want to see what it's like. Okay, now I'm going to move along. Right? Nobody, I mean, maybe some people were, but you, you can't sit here and tell me that people were actually going to sit and watch all 50 laps at, at some of these locations. Like, that's insane, right? I mean, you Not saw some of the videos. Paid $5,000 for a stick and you had a bunch of uh, iron and steel in front of you. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, absolute crap. It was. It's really bad. Um, but in all honesty, I'm I'm cool with it. I think I think they should. The the view blockers never should have been there in the first place. Now, where the, the problem would I have is, and I saw uh, videos of this of people uh, after they tore down the view blockers with, or or even if they like tore holes in them or whatever, they couldn't they couldn't get them down all the way. There were people basically watching the race through their phones by sticking their phones. Through the uh, through the through the through the catch fencing. Yeah, I'm sitting here like that is actually legitimately dangerous. Yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah. That is actually legitimately dangerous. You have now taken what is an act of civil disobedience and rebellion and turned it into this is why they've done this in the first place. You've now showed them why they're doing this. Like, let's not be that stupid. Like. Again, like I said, it's one thing, civil disobedience, simple rebellion, tear down those things, and let people watch, right? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Exactly. But when you start getting stupid with it and start doing stupid things like trying – like putting your hand out onto a – and your phone out onto a a live racetrack, you drop your phone. You affect the race. Uh, You You affect the race in some way. I guess it was worth 5000 bucks to some people. I – like number one, I would just be nervous about dropping my phone because yeah. it's a phone. Fo- but your phone is an investment nowadays. I mean, it's a, it's it's like a car. You make payments on it every month. I, right? I'm nervous about when I when I'm at a legend car race and I stick my phone out through the yeah. fence because I kind of can. And like I'm a and like I know like it's, oh it's gonna fall in the safer barrier. You yeah. know that you know, they're like well shoot I gotta get it later tonight. Can't yeah. throw a caution for that. No, you know I'm nervous about no. that. Let alone. What these people were doing. What these people are doing, yeah. So I think there's a line to be drawn. I mm-hmm. upshift the people who, like I said, are, you know, sticking it to the man. You're going to tear down these views, make this race for the people as it was intended. As every other street race in the world is, by the way. Right. I mean, it. You, if you want to go see the street race from a good vantage point, you buy a ticket. Yeah. If you just want to see what it's like... That's the beauty of it. You can see what it's like without having to commit to buying a ticket. Las Vegas has literally destroyed that idea. Crazy yeah. to me. And then, of course, you know, you heard the ticket prices plummeted, like, right before the race because there was so many and they hadn't sold yeah. any. Right. So the demand overwhelmed – or excuse me, the supply was more than the demand, so they dropped all the prices. So then all those people who actually paid market value, like, when it when the ticket prices were first announced, got screwed – yeah, it was almost like buying a stock that lost in its value overnight. I think it was one of those deals where it was uh, the good old government printing more money, where they had their set amount ticket, and they're like, "Well, crap! How do we correct this? <laughs> Let's just print more tickets." I think that's what it was. I think I think they I think they flooded it with tickets on their own, not necessarily that no one was buying them, 
there became this like mysterious amount of tickets that were still so they purposefully flooded the market to drive down the price of tickets when they could have just dropped the price of tickets without having to arbitrarily sink like that's so unnecessary that just that's just so unnecessary there's a lot of things about this grand prix that were unnecessary true very true Uh, I, I love I love how you set that up for the next one, Josh, because uh, the next question here is Carlos Sainz was handed a 10 grid position, 10 spot grid position penalty for having to repair damage sustained from the loose manhole drain cover. Do you upshift or downshift this, Josh? I think everybody knows how this is going to go, but we are doing it anyway. Here's my opinion on this. If you're going to go to a street course... Right, and you brought up the the, the general fire thing earlier. If you're going to go to a street course and something goes wrong with the track, i.e., primarily the surface, or in this case, what is embedded in the surface, you don't get up. You don't penalize the team who got screwed out of it. This is bullcrap. This is one of those things where Carlos Sainz. I wish he, this was NASCAR, because Carlos Sainz would have gotten up there and said, "Like, give me a mic. I'm talking." Media, listen up. You want to know how I really feel? But he can't do that because it's F1 because it's a gentleman's sport, right? We, we, don't, we, don't, we do things the European way. We don't voice our opinion unless we're Total Wolf. Um, oh, yes, yeah, so I, did, I did just take a shot at Total Wolf there. 100%. Oh, my gosh. Wrecked him. This is bullcrap. This is bullcrap. Now, if this is something where, like, where they're going over the cost cap kind of deal, even that, I'm like, okay. This is your doctor's note. You are able to spend more money than the t- than your cost cap because we screwed you. The FIA, the track organizer, whoever screwed you. This is a downshift. This is bullcrap. When I saw this, I'm like, I wish Carlos Sainz drove for Michael Andretti because Michael would have said, hey, I'll hook up the mic for you. I don't care. I'll hook it up. Let's go. This is bullcrap. 100% bullcrap. The track wasn't prepared correctly, or wasn't wasn't pr- uh, this this particular thing was not checked properly, and because of that, it screwed his car, screwed Ferrari, having to fix it, spend money to, to correct the issue, and really ruined Carlos' race. As a result, it's just it it was it, weekend of blunders. This is probably the worst one. And it is so it's it's frustrating for me. I know as an American we look at things a little bit differently from a racing standpoint. I get that. But this to me, like when it comes to pure racing, you don't punish the driver in this way and the team this way. This was wrong. And um I cannot wait when Carlos retires and people ask him about this. Hey bud, how you really feel? You know, I thought this was a terrible penalty in the first place. I, I, it's always amazing to me. It's like, yes, this is the thing that bugs me the most, is a lot of these FIA rules, and now I don't know if this specific FIA rule has this in them, but a lot of FIA rules are written, like, if it is determined or at the FIA's yeah. discretion or all yeah. of that, and it's like, you have the language in the rule books to not penalize science for this. 
Yeah. Like it's 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 not like there's a rule for everything else. There was a rule that would have given them the power to not penalize them. Right. Like it's you you have the rules written that way for a reason. So that when specific special extra crazy circumstances occur, you can you don't have to you know kick a team or a driver when they're down right and that's exactly what happened this weekend i mean carlos Sainz and ferrari they got screwed i mean there's no other way to say it they got screwed okay now you can say you know that it was self-inflicted for some of that well maybe maybe leclerc's race was a bit self-inflicted but not Sainz. Sainz had probably arguably or should have had arguably the fastest car i think Ha- the the problem was that incident happened in free practice once, so we never really got to see the full potential of that car. But even yeah. when it was damaged and repaired, it was still very fast in qualifying. Yeah, uh, it was it was it was P two on in, in in Q three before the the penalty, so very quick. And 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 Leclerc only beat him by that much. And again, I still believe that the only reason Leclerc beat him for pole is because Leclerc's car was not had not been repaired like Science's had. And I mean, in all honesty, too, what's what's even worse about this is the FIA penalizes signs when, you know, there's media reports out there that say you could see the track through the hole in the floor that the manhole cover had created. Yeah, that's bad. So, yes, that is very bad. That is dangerous, scary. And it's not Ferrari's fault. It's not Carlos Sainz's fault. It's nobody's fault but the FIA for approving the track too soon without properly seeing if all the manhole covers were sealed properly. Or if they did check them, whoever did check them, I hope... Gets fired. You know, ...is in the soup line. Yeah. Like, that. that's insane to me. And that, that would have been a serious... That that it still was, it still is a serious safety issue. The fact that there was a there was a manhole cover that basically treated like imagine if this is this was my worst freaking fear when I saw that. When I saw that this manhole cover, I said, imagine if this manhole cover had blown off when two cars were racing side by side. I know we have the halo and whatnot, yeah, but no. or not side by side, but like running one to yeah. nose and t- nose to tail. Like yeah, that, this this could have been very very bad. If picked up and flew out or flew into the crowd or hit the yeah. catch fencing or God forbid hit another driver, hit a marshal, that is insane. So that is a the clear safety problem in and of itself. But again, like I said, for the FIA to still penalize Ferrari for something that's their fault, Ferrari did not go out there and design this track. Ferrari had nothing to do with the preparation of this track, yet they are being penalized for the track not being prepared properly? How does that make any sense? That's ridiculous, right? How does the FIA not realize how ridiculous that is? I mean, it's one thing if Signs like, wrecked his car, right? Yeah, that's, if that's it was different. It was driver error, right. If it's, if it's driver error, then... Track error. Right, exactly. This is this is something that no matter what Carlos Sainz did in that car, Sainz knowing ahead of time that a manhole cover was going to come up when he drove over it, which, by the way, is kind of impossible for him to know because he expects that to not happen. Right. You know, how was, how was he going to prevent this? 
There was no way he was going to prevent this. Ergo, there was no way, reason for a penalty to be issued. And I'm so frustrated with that. The FIA picks and chooses. It has vague rules in there, and then it has very strict rules. And right. it has vague rules when they should be strict and strict rules when they should be vague. And that is what really bugs me about some of the FIA rulebooks, and this is a perfect example of it. I understand why some of these rules are in place there, but like I said, there should be times where special circumstances, that, that language is unless deemed a special circumstance by race directors, by the FIA, whatever, that language needs to be in there. And if it's yeah. not, it needs to be added for next year's rulebook. 100%. All right, now we'll keep, keep on this uh, topic of Las Vegas Grand Prix practice because when Free Practice 1 was canceled and then Free Practice 2 was delayed, fans were escorted out by security, and Thursday-only ticket holders were given a $200 voucher to the official Las Vegas Grand Prix store as compensation. Now, the reason why these fans were escorted out by security was I was told that uh, Free Practice 2 was behind closed doors because they needed to get... Uh, certain parts of the fan or the racetrack or the track in general ready for the morning commute, the Friday morning commute. Right. You're That's, right. This is a very unique Grand Prix where they open and close the track. Yes. Yep. Um, it's a special circumstance, but we should just keep that in mind when we are debating this. So, Josh, what is... How are you shifting on this? Or what is your take on this, and then how is your shift? Well, I, I, I downshift. This is not the way you handle it, right? This, to me, was a... I understand. You gotta... You, you have to... Special circumstances. I mean, you had to escort the people out because you had to reopen the roads. I get that. But yeah, you still failed as an organizer to fulfill your th obligations to that ticket holder. And a $200 voucher that is only good at the Las Vegas store, which I also heard didn't cover shipping. So if you were only buying $100 worth of stuff, you couldn't use the other $100 to pay for the shipping. You had to pay for shipping separately. I can't. I, I, you know, there's a lot of people that, like, deserve to get hit with a glove. I challenge you. Glove. Glove this is slap. bad. This I don't. This is crap. Yep. This is ridiculous. This was an absolute wrong way to respond. And now they got that lawsuit over their head, and the whole thing possibly could have been avoided from the lawsuit standpoint, or they would have had a better leg to stand on in a lawsuit. Is if they said all Thursday only ticket holders were going to be refunded one hundred percent from their purchase. We can't compensate you for your hotels and any other travel expenses, but your ticket. Your Thursday ticket is 100% refunded. 100%. Uh, I will never buy that Las Vegas or that F F1 lost money on this one. Um, they, they probably just didn't make as much as they thought they would. But this $200 voucher, when I paid to see two practice sessions, that doesn't cut it. Again, I downshift. This is the second biggest blunder of the weekend because I, I have to put competition ahead of the fan on this one. As, as sad as that sounds, fans should always come first. But uh, look, Carlos Sainz saying, number one blunder of the weekend by the FIA. Number two blunder, 
was the way they mistreated these thir- these Thursday only fans. Absolutely bullcrap. And I hope they win the lawsuit. I really do. And I and I I'm not one to cheer for litigation. Cuz there's way too much of that in this world. Everyone's res- everyone's everyone's I, response to everything is I'm going to sue. No. It's not the answer to everything. To every little issue that you come across. Litigation isn't the answer. This one here though, I hope they get it. Because FIA's got to learn at some point that Yes, the reason you are so popular right now and that the reason you have all these corporations knocking on your door wanting to be a part of your sport is because it's popular with the people. Not popular among rich people. Rich people can only account for so many tickets, right? I don't three, I don't see 315,000 millionaires lining up to buy tickets to F1 races, no. There are a lot of people who spend a, their hard-earned money probably took their one vacation a year, let alone, I don't even know what the nationality and makeup at the fans was here, but you had a lot of people spending a lot more money traveling into the United States to go to this race. Downshift, 100%, $200 voucher for canceled practice does not cover it. It's a slap in the face. Man, I am all in on you on that one. This is the biggest... This is a joke. This is a complete joke. Not only, like I said already, but you had fans here, a lot of fans, who thought this was like the cheapest way, this is the only way that they were going to be able to see any kind of cars on action. So they bought tickets when they were full face value. And then you also... Then you drop the ticket prices basically right before the race. So then you have even more people who previously didn't think that they were going to be able to suddenly decide, oh, I guess I can now. Okay, well, if I can afford to go to the race now, I guess I might as well, right? You know, there's still time. So they do. And you get these two groups of people, one that have both basically been screwed because they wanted to go see this race. You've basically given the giant middle finger to people who wanted to see this race or wanted to see cars on track, wanted to support the event in some way, shape, or form. And this is how you repay them. That's insane to me. That's insane. And not to mention, they, they, they say, oh, here's a $200 voucher to the F1 store. Yeah, okay, that's all great and fine, but think about the people who paid $700 just to, go to, the, just to buy the ticket. That's, that, that's still that $200 voucher on already marked up items. Because this, this is the worst. This is also worse annoying to me is the fact that they're giving out these $200 vouchers when the items are marked up to hell. I mean, you could see people were posting photos on Twitter about that, could, that clearly showed prices being scratched out and then marked up by like 100%. Like, in what universe is that acceptable to give people a $200 voucher to buy stuff that's already marked up? They could literally save money that they've already, I mean, they're already going to have to take a loss on this whole weekend anyway. But they could literally save money by not using the voucher and buying the same stuff in two weeks from Fanatics. Yes. I mean, it blows my mind <laughs> like i i just this is this is the biggest slap in the face this this showed me this showed me 
that uh, the the people the people behind this race are not race fans and not Las Vegas natives. They're they're neither of those things. They are they have to be money grubbing uh, ex- corporate executives that have no idea what it's like to work a blue collar job in their freaking lives. Okay, let alone what it's like to spend your hard-earned money to go to a race because you eat, sleep, and breathe auto racing like you and I do, Josh. We spend our hard-earned money on races because that's what we want to do. We want This is our idea of having fun. We travel not because we're going to Disney World, not because we're going to a tourist trap. We travel because we're going to go watch cars in circles. And gosh darn it, we are entitled to see cars go in circles if we're going to pay the exorbitant fees that we have to pay anyway to go see these races. Okay, because let's be honest. The ticket prices might be $700, but Ticketmaster is probably going to add another 200 onto that. Yeah. So, and and nowadays, I guess, this Ticketmaster is the only place you can get those kinds of tickets. So, again, everything about this was all about money. It was never, at least in my opinion, you. I actually think it would have been a better financial investment to have not gone to the race, to have experienced the atmosphere of the race but just gambled all your money away instead. Because at least you would have, your odds of getting a return on that money would have been higher than what F1 actually gave you when they canceled practice. Yeah. Yeah. You have been better off just going to Vegas, getting in a room, watching the race from your your hotel room. That you've been better off that way. I mean, it, it is truly insane to me that there are, they treated fans like this. And, and what's even more crazy is they keep talking about wanting to break into the U.S. market. All this does, they do realize that all this does is perpetuate the Formula One stereotype that Americans have felt about them for the past several decades, that they're a bunch of rich, out-of-touch Europeans. Look, and, and, and let me, in, in American fans, sports fans, we don't put up with crap. We nah, don't like man. this kind of stuff. I mean, we can we you can call us whatever we want, but you know we, we don't put up with this stuff. We oh. we are we are high maintenance, but but in reality, that drives to have a better show. And F one is out of touch. I mean, they got so lucky. They got so lucky that that Saturday night's race was a was a rare banger for F one standards. Yeah. They got so lucky because if that race was a standard Max Verstappen wins lol fest, mm-hmm. it would have been worse. I can it guarantee will. you the fallout would be even worse than it is now because we're already mad about this topic. Imagine if it was a bad race. Then everybody's like, you know, they got so, so lucky that – the Vegas Grand Prix was like the only enjoyable race of Formula One this season. Mm-hmm. And I say that without really having to exaggerate. That's just a fact. This Saturday night's Las Vegas Grand Prix was hands down the most entertaining Formula One race of the season. And I am so mad 
at these poor fans who got screwed out of their experience. It makes me angry, it makes me frustrated, and it's it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And that's why it's a perfect segue into our next question, which is the Las Vegas Grand Prix needs support races for 2024. How are you shifting on this, Josh? Ooh, I think it, it needs something, but with the road closures and openings, it's going to be tough. Um, that's where it's going to be tricky. Um, I don't know how they get around that. In, in general, like on the surface, it does. It need there needs to be more on track time, or they need they need to have something else there that they're able to to run. I, I don't know what that is. It's a tough. It's a tough. It's a tough sell. Um. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer to that is. Um. I don't know if this is something where they kind of go to a Monaco model, or an old Monaco model where they say we're gonna have practice on Thursday, Friday, and nothing for F one on Saturday, and a race on Sunday, and then you kind of fill where you can on Friday and Saturday with support race activities and then have the support actual race on Saturday. I don't know if that's possible, if that's logical, but you know, they need something else. There wasn't enough on track activity. I don't think to even make the investment worth it, but I will give, I, this is where I'll cut them a break and say, you had to get through year one to figure out what you actually were going to have. But and I think it, they they need to try to find a way to have support races first. So for that, I upshift. This is probably one of the maybe arguably their least complicated issue they have to face going forward with this particular Grand Prix weekend. It's is not having support races. There's other there's other larger issues they need to address. So, um, yeah, I I, I would upshift that. Well, I mean, for me, I think it, it, you, you mentioned a lot of reasons why logistically it's going to be tough. Um, it's, it's one of those situations where I, I don't know if I would put support races at the Vegas Grand Prix. Uh, I don't even know that they work for Miami and Coda, but they have them there now, and I don't know why, but they have them there now. Well, and you got to remember too, Coda is a permanent track, and Miami is a semi-permanent contained. No, I'm fully aware track. of that. I'm saying I don't, I don't like the idea of F2, F3, um, Porsche Carrera Cup, any of that having flyaway races because I think it adds too much cost to the already right. astronomical cost of racing. And it doesn't have to be that high level. It just has to be support races. Well, the what uh, what support? I mean, is F Formula Four? Who the hell cares about Formula Four? How many of those people at the track are going to know what Formula Four is? No, no, no. Exactly. What F compared to F two? I think it's just another on track that gives that person who buys that single day ticket enough uh, a little bit more time uh, with with vehicles on track. Well, and and again, you're right, but it. It's it's hard to do because of the logistics about it because you have to open and close the track every day. Yep, it is. You know, and, and and you have and things take time. These things take time, and it's going to, you know, you have to allot enough enough of that time to get stuff done. 
look, I, I don't want to say like I would like it if that we could have some some support races for the Las Vegas Grand Prix, but I just don't see it being possible. I just don't see that that being a thing that uh, Formula One's able to do. I don't know that the Las Vegas Grand Prix wants to do it. The organizers want to do it because I think they just want Formula One to be the main attraction. Uh, it's going to be the main attraction idea. no matter what. No, I'm, I'm aware of that, but I think yeah. they want to make it exclusive in that regard. Yeah. Like, it's the only race that of the weekend out here, you know? it's Because, yeah. obviously, they don't want... They, they really want to make it very hard for people to... To watch this race, no matter what, they want to, you either cough up the money to go see the race in person, or you watch it on TV. No in between. That's that's clearly what they want. And yeah. just based upon that kind of attitude, I just don't see it being. I just don't see it as something that's that's likely to happen. Um, but that's so. So honestly, I have I have to downshift. As much as I'd like to see it happen, I don't think it's going to happen, uh, and I don't think it can either. So. Um, let's go ahead and move on. And this is, gosh, Josh, you just threw this one right in there, didn't you? I did. Do you upshift or downshift that if NASCAR and Formula One were to have a collaborative race weekend, the Las Vegas Grand Prix would be the perfect location? Josh, this is crazy. There are going to be people listening to this that are cringing at this thought. You're going to need to provide them with some context. Well, it came from a, a Reddit post that Parker Kligerman commented on. Someone was asking about collaboration between, you know, NASCAR and Formula One and the way he thought of the Las Vegas Grand Prix race. So I thought, you know, there's a question in there somewhere. You know, look, I, first off, I have to stay, say this, you know, let's, let's start in reality. Formula One and NASCAR are never going to collaborate. It's never going to happen, right? Even on our home turf, home turf it's never going to happen. The way F1 runs events does not mesh with how NASCAR runs events. Okay? You're talking about a marriage made in hell, not in heaven. So it's not going to happen. In Fantasyland, yeah, this makes good sense. You know, I do think in, in a, in a Fantasyland where we're making a let's make a schedule, <laughs> where we have a collaborative effort, I think Las Vegas would be a great location for NASCAR and Formula One to collaborate. Um... Even if it was, you know, this would be really, really fantasy land where NASCAR races at LVMS and Formula One's racing on the street course. You could kind of have a little bit of best of both worlds, if you will. You know, I don't think, I, I, I think no matter what, it's going to always be a little bit of a struggle for a stock car to do well on a street course. But LVMS puts on damn good racing right now. And uh, if you bring a show of force where, hey, you know, we got trucks, Xfinity, and Cup all out here. And you got Formula One going on downtown. That makes sense. That makes fun. You know, I, I, I think... Uh, Again, reality, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Uh, and, and I just say that based off of this purely how F1 runs their show and organizes races compared to how NASCAR does. Um, they want total control over everything. doesn't matter where they're going. NASCAR 
gives a little bit of control to tracks. While, you know, whether it's a NASCAR-owned track, an independent track, or a Speedway Motorsports-owned track, the track still has a little bit of control, even if NASCAR owns the track. You know, the track sells the tickets. NASCAR doesn't sell tickets. Formula One sells tickets, not the organizer. So it, it just it just it just wouldn't work. Um, but you know, to the question: If Collaborate Weekend with Las Vegas Grand Prix be a perfect location, I upshift. I think I think this will be a great location for it. Um, just given the party scene and the the glitz and glamour of Las Vegas, I think it would just it just attracts attention. More so than, no offense to both of us, like in Indianapolis, um, a second place would, or, or Coda, where I think NASCAR puts on great races as well. Um, you know, I, I think Las Vegas would be the perfect one. Rob, how do you feel based off of reality and fantasy? I, I don't even know about this. I, I think it's really, the idea of Formula One and NASCAR is working together is just insane to me. I feel like... It, it, people on both sides wouldn't have it. I feel very strongly like there would be a very right. strong divide amongst people if this was even considered outside of this podcast or outside of Reddit, where it apparently yeah. came from, and outside of Parker Kligerman's mouth. Um, this, this is, this would never happen. This would just never happen. Both, both sides do not like each other. Okay. Yeah. Both sides do not like each other. Both fan bases do not like each other. Now, you're like, unless you're like Josh and I, who don't really care, just like racing, you know, this would be awesome, right? This, an idea of NASCAR and F1, you know, mixing it up would, would, would be great. Uh, you'd, you'd love to see, like, a, a driver swap like there used to be uh, when, when Juan Montoya and Jeff Gordon did it and when Lewis Hamilton and Tony Stewart did it. You know, it... it I I loved that. That was really cool. But like, objectively speaking, I don't know if it could work. If if a double header weekend could work, and even even in a fantasy world, like even in a fantasy world, it's hard for me to even think about that. Like literally in a perfect fantasy world, I can't even. It's blowing my own brain in the fantasy where everything goes, anything goes. Yeah. That's. This is my take. Like this is a. I, I'm sorry. I have to downshift this. This is this is impossible. This would never happen for the logistics reasons we just discussed, like, like a couple of minutes ago, and then for all the reasons that I've already mentioned. Like it, I don't see this happening. As but it would be cool. I think it would be cool, but it it's completely unrealistic. All right, let's move on. Uh, more talking about the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, he called the Las Vegas Grand Prix 99% show and 1% sporting event. Uh, do you upshift or downshift with Verstappen's uh, views or a perspective of the Vegas Grand Prix? You know, I, I have to say he's more right than wrong. Again, this was this was a Grand Prix designed for Europeans, but in America. Right, this Grand Prix was designed to attract the rich, the rich and the famous, the rich, rich, rich corporations and CEOs. This wasn't ever designed for the regular fan, as we've already gone over. 
And to me, when you add that together, that's that's for show. You're 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 dolling yourself up to show off. And you're forgetting about why you're there. And you're there for sport. You're there for uh for to 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 race and to compete. And I think when you look at the way you just add everything up, and to me, I'm like, it was just more show. They wanted the least amount of negative publicity, which they didn't get. Um, I, I think he's right. I think this one, and I know there's people I called, I said it earlier, Total Wolf disagrees with this. I think Total Wolf's making some money on the side on this one. Um, it, it just to me, I, I, I do agree that it may not be 99% show and 1% sporting event, but. The balance is clearly in the show part, right? It's clearly towards the show, and uh, for, for for that I, I upshift. I le- and this could change in the future. They go back and review their v- review twenty twenty three, and how can they improve on twenty twenty four? This could change, but for this race, I upshift. He's more right than wrong. Well, uh, I have to agree with max here he he is right i mean max was really telling it like it was like it is this weekend and i i respect him for for having the guts to do that and uh but i mean the fact of the matter is that's what it was i mean what but what's cra- the build-up to it the build-up to the to the las vegas grand prix was 99 percent show he's right about that but then the actual race oh it was a good race though like i said i mean the watching actual real legitimate Tire degradation in Formula One matter? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, chef's kiss right there. You know, so because it was such a good race, I'm almost willing to forgive how much of a show it was to the buildup. But at the same time, I still believe that Max is right. It was mainly a show. Uh, it was the – they got lucky with the race being good. I mean, this wasn't the, the racing, the racing quality, the race itself was an afterthought. It was all about how could we make this event as cool as possible. And don't get me wrong, it was, it was a cool event. It was, it was a cool event. You know, I, I love the sphere, Josh. I told, mm-hmm. I told, I texted Josh at 3.30 in the morning that I would die for the Las Vegas sphere emoji smiley face. He, he did. He did. I, he did text that. And Can't I'm very, I, I'm, yes, it's, it's true. I, I love the Las Vegas sphere emoji uh and i thought it was really cool to actually see these cars flying down the las vegas strip sounding like indie cars going into the first turn uh it it was objectively cool it was okay but that doesn't mean that max is wrong he's right it was 99 percent show and one percent race uh and they got lucky with the race being good so all right we'll move on here to the second to last question here penultimate Question: Richard Petty, the king Richard Petty, he shared with the Tennessean that he'd like to see the NASCAR All-Star Race at the Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway. Do you upshift or downshift that, Josh? I upshift. I, I, I've said this before. I would love to see the All-Star Race in Nashville Fairgrounds be the last race of the year. Um, lead that into the banquet. You know, you, have, you, run the, you run the races during the weekend, All-American 400 too, and then you run into the banquet in the middle of the week. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, uh, you know, I upshift. I, I don't have much to add. I think, I think he's spot on. I think it'd be great. You know, he also said, you know, move it around. 
Um, you know, I think it's it's cool. We're you know, it's a cool way to to think get back to the roots. I definitely I love all star racing. I think on short tracks, um, you can just I think once we get the short track package down, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun with these cars and what they can do. Um, but by the way, another kind of halfway selfish plug, but also this is for the betterment of racing. Uh, voice your opinion on your support for the fairgrounds. A new proposal came out uh, for the redevelopment of Nashville Fairgrounds that basically demolishes the track. So uh, let's, uh, if you can, voice your opinion to save the Speedway. Um, I don't think Rob and I need to go into, we don't need to be losing any more racetracks, especially one that uh, is as old as the fairgrounds. You know, it's been around since 1904. Uh, and basically continuously operating only the Milwaukee Mile, I think is longer in a continuous state of automobile racing. So, um, yeah, that's just, uh, what's your opinion there, folks? And make we can help make Richard Petty's wish here come true. You know what? I agree with the king. I think he's right on. Um, the, uh... The, the the way the way it is right now, I think Wilkesboro should just be a points race. I mean, if it's a points race for the truck race series, might as well just make it for the Cup series, especially now that it's repaved. Doesn't make sense to keep it the All Star race anymore. I mean, an All Star race, an All Star race in a short track just feels like too much of a crapshoot anyway. I feel like the All Star race's perfect location is on a mile and a half track because it's it's the most common type of track that that NASCAR races on. I mean, they have more mile and a halfs on the calendar than they do any other type of track. That's that's still accurate. That's still true, um, even even to this day, even with the way the schedule is now. I mean, there's mile and a half are still predominantly the dominant uh, racing type of racetrack on the schedule. Ergo, that's why I think it should be the All Star Race. But at the same time, I'm not against the All Star Race going to historical event venues like Wilkesboro, like Nashville. You know, if if that if the All Star Race being moved to these locations means that we can save these locations and save these racetracks and continue to pump money into these racetracks and build up an event for fans, then that's, I say we do it. I say, I, I say I'm, I'm all for that. Um, so despite the fact that I would like to see the All-Star Race move to a mile and a half, uh, like Charlotte, I don't really care, like back to Charlotte, I should say, uh, I don't really mind if it's, stays at Wilkesboro for another year or two and then eventually moves to Nashville. I think that would be good. Um, and in all honesty, too, I, not not so much to your idea of having it at the end of the year, but, you know, having it in having it in May is, is not a bad idea. I mean, there's it's it's probably one of the better ideas. You know, a, an early summer kind of short track event in Nashville. I don't know. That just seems cool to me. Especially if it's a night race. Not saying that, you know, it wouldn't be. But with Wilkesboro being the all-star race, it it's going to have a shelf life as the all-star race, right? Yeah. Eventually, yeah. Wilkesboro just needs to be given its own cup race. Um, but the all-star race, yeah, I think you can make Nashville happen because then you bring bring that event to the downtown area and then you keep the points race across town at the Super Speedway. Mm-hmm. And then so it's... Two different types of tracks, two totally different types of racing, 
depending on how much you want to drive, how far you want to drive, depending on how much money you want to spend, you know, it you can you you can give the those people in the Nashville area who very very much want love racing the way that they do, uh you can give them what they want and 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 I I would hope that would work out. Uh but again, we'll see. We'll see what happens um you know, following this new uh, this Nashville Fairgrounds thing is it's definitely interesting. Definitely a fun little time. All right, let's move on to the final, final question of the show. With NASCAR reportedly increasing its summer streaming races from 6 to 10, the sanctioning body is going for more dollars for the teams. Do you upshift or downshift that statement, Josh? I think this is 100% correct. I think this is 100% correct, so I upshift. I think there's... I think... The, the teams just want so much money. And, and, you know, I can't blame them because the model is broken for teams. You know, it's not 2001 anymore. Um, people aren't willing to write blank $15 and $20 million checks to be in your car full time. It is, it, it's cool. It's also disgusting to see all these posts that are going out. Look at all our paint schemes this year. It shouldn't be that way. <laughs> you should be seeing 10 paint schemes on a car or at least 10 different sponsors on a car. That, should, that shouldn't be happening. You know, it, it, that, should, that should be the way it is. So the model is broken. I think NASCAR is willing to say, uh, much like the NFL, hey, we under, in every, don't, let's stop, let's, let's, I don't think we've addressed it in so many words. Let's not pretend that advertisers don't know and then that marketing divisions don't know that fewer people at this current time are streaming. Everyone knows that when you when you're going to advertise on streaming, you're going to get less people watching. No way. This isn't this isn't this isn't a secret. It's an open secret, right? I think NASCAR is willing to say we are willing to take a hit in overall viewership as long as we kind of hit like you know an estimated target. You know, maybe it's I don't I don't know what the number would be like one eighth of the viewers if we're able to hit one eighth of the viewers on streaming compared to what we're getting on a regular broadcast race we're good we're happy with that but when amazon and anyone else who's in streaming is willing to write a check for an individual race that is three four five times the amount that fox or nbc are willing to write NASCAR can say, okay, well, we'll take an extra dollar and a half and we'll give the other two and a half dollars to the teams, right? That, to me, is what they're thinking. 100%. 100%. And these races that are going to be on the streaming part are probably going to get a little bit of kickback as compensation as well. I, this is absolutely when this this doesn't get released unless they want it to get released. NASCAR is going for the dollars because this is the way that they can satisfy the teams in the charter agreement. Um, at this current time, so I upshift. 
they are going for the dollars and they're willing to take a sacrifice and hit an overall viewership as long as they hit a target that is like, you know, a ratio to what they would get on a broadcast, which I think the like just like the NFL did with, with Thursday night football. If they're gonna they take they took that huge check that Amazon wrote. And by the way, you got a Black Friday game this year. Um after Thursday. Uh that's new because Amazon wanted it. Um and they wrote a big enough check for it. Yeah. It, we're it we're in it we're in a pickle. NASCAR's in a pickle. We're not in a pickle. Rob and I are in a pickle. But NASCAR's in a pickle on what they want and need to do to satisfy the demands of the teams, which I think, again, the teams are in the right. The model has been broken. The model is broken. It's been broken for a while. And it's been, but it it was more so exposed. It's been broken for decades. Let's Let's not kid ourselves. It was just exposed when the recession hit in 07, 08, and 09. And it just hasn't been corrected since. So, I upshift. I know Rob. You, I think you've got some strong feelings that you want to get out. So I will. I will. I will uh, yield the floor to you. Well, in all honesty, I'm. If you know, if you know me, kind of know my takes. I, I am not a fan of NASCAR moving to streaming. I don't like the idea of having to have a streaming service to watch NASCAR. I feel like that directly hurts the series more than it helps it uh because it's it's not like it's the nfl it's not like it's the nba it's not like it's you know something that people are going to watch and seek out no matter what nascar is something that a very core group and a very local niche group is going to seek out um and and you see that even with uh espn and formula one um you know the people like yes you can you can view Formula Three and Formula Two on ESPN Plus, but nobody does. Right. Nobody right. does. Um, and that's really, really the problem. Whereas, yes, you can stream this racing series. You can stream these racing series, which is great. And don't get me wrong, I'm glad you can do this because previously you you, you couldn't stream uh, Formula Two, Formula Three. If you wanted to watch GP2 races back in the day, the only way to actually do it was to find a bootleg stream of Sky Sports F1 if you were in America. If you were in the UK, you had to have Sky Sports F1, but you could watch them. You could watch them, which is something that was not something that you could say, you know, prior to 2012. Um, and, or at the very least, it was tape delayed. You know, they, they started airing them live. Now they're live again. I understand that F2, F3, they're much smaller. They're much more niche when it comes to racing. So this, it might be a bad comparison. But what you do is you're trying, with, especially with all these streaming services, everybody has them and then cancels them, okay? So depending on when people have a certain streaming service, it's, it's always a crapshoot. And, and I feel like, at least in my opinion, most people who probably go through those cycles of streaming services probably don't have Amazon Prime until the football season. So likely, whenever the summer stretch of things, if you're trying to gather get people who subscribe to Prime for the NFL, I don't think it's going to work because those people aren't going to be subscribed to Prime when NASCAR will be on. Uh, so I really, I have to say, 110% NASCAR needs to be very careful with this streaming, this streaming thing. 
because it, it could end. The thing I'm also very concerned about is the idea of these races being exclusively streamed. Because we've seen how... We've seen it be done with IndyCar. But that's just one race. Maybe two. Yeah. Just one race. One race over the, the last two one, seasons, I think. One race, and it's Toronto. And in all honesty, that's fine. Nobody really cares. Nobody really minds it. But I know that a lot of people are... There are a lot of people that are frustrated that cannot watch that race. They can't, they can't watch that Toronto race if, if they're in the United States. Um, if you're in Canada, I, I have no idea. Maybe you can watch it. I assume you can uh, on, on television. But that's, it's, it's just a very fine line to be walking because one, as I, one of the reasons why I no longer watch Thursday Night Football is because it's on Thursday Football. Right was on NFL Network, or even when it was on CBS, Fox, NBC, whatever. NBC. I would watch it. Yeah. I would watch it. But I am not subscribing to Prime Video to watch Thursday Night Football. It's not, a, 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 it's not something that I am wanting to spend my money on. Uh, and I feel like there's going to be a lot of people out there that probably feel the same way about NASCAR. They will watch NASCAR if it's on. And if it's available to them via either over-the-air television or their cable package, uh, they're not going to actively seek it out. Yep. They're just not going to. You and me will actively seek it out. But the people that NASCAR is really trying to reach are not going to. They're not going to seek it out. And that's the real big problem with putting things behind a streaming-only paywall. It really reduce that level of, of exposure to the racing series. And that's not to say that Going streaming is bad because let's be honest, that's where Gen Z is going. Gen Z only streams, okay? Gen Z doesn't have cable like you and I, Josh. I mean, I stream I mean, on I'm, cable. I, I, I'm thinking about cutting the cable cord myself. As they stream my cable, I have YouTube TV, yeah. and I only yeah. ever watch YouTube TV. I don't watch Netflix. I don't watch Disney Plus. I don't watch. Uh, the only thing I watch on Hulu is American Dad. I've said that multiple times. That's the only thing I've ever watched on Hulu. I don't watch anything else. I exclusively watch YouTube TV and live linear programming. But that is just me. Other people are not like that. Other people are not like that. So, for my opinion, I think NASCAR, if they're going to carve out a streaming service audience, they need to go where the biggest audience is. If they think that that's prime video, then I'm not going to argue with numbers. If objectively NASCAR says, okay, this is big numbers. But then if you look at market share, what's the bigger market share? It does Max, HBO Max, whatever it's called, Bleacher Live. Does this, does this have a similar market share to Amazon Prime? You know, where and, and how, what percentage of these Amazon Prime customers are watching only Prime? How many of these people do not just pay for Prime so that they get free shipping from Amazon, which is what a lot of people do? A lot right. of people just have Prime for the free shipping or for the next day's shipping and not really because they want to watch something prime video very I, from what i understand very few people are actually subscribed to prime for prime video it's more for the free shipping the quick shipping all that stuff that that's what you pay for if you use amazon a lot you pay for prime for that reason you're not paying for prime to watch thursday night football in the same regard you're not going to pay for prime to watch nascar or at least the people nascar wants to watch that's not gonna happen so yes they're gonna take that big check 
like you said, you said, Josh, they're going to take that big, giant check, and they're going to distribute it to the teams. But my concern is, how is this going to help NASCAR in the long term? Because what you're doing is you're taking a sport that is based almost entirely on advertising dollars, from sponsorship to what the television stations sell during the race, to the presenting sponsor, to companies paying to have their logo on there. If you take something that has been on over-the-air television for the last 30, 40 years and suddenly say it's going to be on a streaming-only paywall now, I don't think that's going to go as well as you think it's going to go. Okay? I mean, I it don't might... – I mean, look, I, I, think, I think you're right. You're bringing up legitimate concerns. I mean, it. don't get me wrong. If they want to take this check and say, hey, teams, that's great, but the worst thing – the absolute worst thing that they could do is have this section of races. Now it's 10 races. That's a summer series. That's two-ish months, two and a half months of the NASCAR season. Okay? You're basically carving out June basically and July. NBC's chunk. Yeah. Right? That NBC's the last half of half Fox's chunk. chunk and the sec first half of NBC's chunk. So that means yeah. – what that means then is you have the potential for the Brickyard 400's return – or not return, but the Brickyard 400, a, a race like that to be streaming only. And that's what it would happen. That would happen because if you're going to carve out a 10 race schedule in the summer, June and July, what happens during June and July? Brickyard. Brickyard happens in July. That's – yeah, it's not going to be gonna popular be, in Indiana. It's going to be very interesting to see. Um, it, it'll You're just be interesting to get to people see. subscribing for Amazon Prime to watch the Brickyard. I'm going to tell you that right now. As much as you and I love the Brickyard, unless next year's race is a banger, you, I do not believe people are going to subscribe to Amazon Prime to watch the Brickyard. I think you're right. I mean, I, I look. This is, it, you know, again, it's. I mean, not not to say everything you said is wrong, and you shouldn't have said it. But like again, the question was, are they doing this for the money? And I think it's for the money. I think the decisions that will come out of it, or the repercussions of their decisions. I think you've hit a, you hit it on the head. I, I that will be the explained. A better, a little bit better. Yes, I do believe this is all for money, and I am upshifting that regard. I apologize, but I was more saying, "Yeah, I upshift on this," and here, but here's why it's bad. Right? Yeah, That's kind and, of I mean, it, my, it's, it's yeah, it's just we're not in the. If this was, if we had the star power of the late '90s and early 2000s, I don't think we'd be having a concern but the problem is you just for again nascar's problems are a laundry list long are a laundry list long and the, within the laundry list is why we don't have star power yeah and that's what's gonna that's that's gonna be the the zinger on why streaming services right now it, it it's somewhat necessary but it's too soon for nascar and it's too soon for other if it's too soon almost for the nfl it's 
it's definitely too soon for NASCAR. So it's just gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see. I I I it's gonna be interesting to see what what happens when they finally reveal it. Oh man, I'm not looking forward to that. All right, Josh, let's go ahead and wrap the show up here uh, about as quickly as we can. Go ahead and wrap up the weekend. There wasn't a ton, obviously, but there was the Macau Grand Prix, which was a fantastic event. Always, I mean, full field of F3 cars this year, roaring through the streets of Macau. No, gone. No more. Are they sticking to these small fields of Chinese F4, Chinese? F4? three series it's now back to the big region big fia series 30 plus cars roaring through the streets nothing better than it 15 laps of pure hold your breath racing uh on the streets of macau absolutely fantastic race i am the only thing that i am so sad about was that the race had to end under caution because of an accident that happened uh with about three or four three or four laps to go um they couldn't get the the track cleaned up in time. Nobody was hurt or anything. It's just there's oil on the track and there was a fire from the car. So it wasn't a big fire or anything, but there was a fire. So driver climbed out. Everybody's fine. But uh, just a great, great race. Very, very fun. Uh, Luke Browning, the uh, Brit, uh, the young Brit, he was uh, drove a fantastic race. Absolutely dominated the race. Dominated the, the, the qualifying race. Dominated the race race. Uh, held off Gabriella Mini, who honestly I thought was probably going to win that race was going to steal it, but uh, ended up finishing third. Overall, Dennis Hauger finished th- uh, second, finished uh, runner-up. Great, great, uh, great performance by him, everybody. Uh, Sophia Flourish, uh came, came back to Macau uh, and uh, almost had a top 10, finished in 11th place. Still, I mean, objectively speaking, better than ending up in the grandstands, <laughs> which is where she was. <laughs> You know, not long ago, you know, to be on the outside of a top 10, I'll take it, man. I would That's take the it. Softest, being... Objectively speaking, I finished 11th compared to ending up in the grandstands. Holy cow. I mean, it- that's what happened, though. I mean, if you're Sophia Flourish, you're going to take I it. I know that's what happened, Rob. I'm just saying, like, that's. I mean, <laughs> yes. I'm just saying, she's probably happy she finished the race. And finished well. Yeah. It, it finished well too. You know, yeah. I would be. It's, it's it's like any if any driver comes back to a, a racetrack where they had a horrifying crash, and then just finish. Like you, you take that as a dub, right? You yeah, you take right, your win. Right. You go home. You know it. You're all good and fine. Uh, but yeah, it, he it, great great Macau Grand Prix. Very very fun to watch. Uh, I we actually got super lucky in the way the timing. Worked out. The F1 Las Vegas Grand Prix finished. Finished, Josh. It Max Verstappen crossed the line. Uh, right as the cars at Macau were rolling off onto the formation line. So quite literally could not have timed it better. I you just rolled right from one race into the next. Uh, so uh, but because of that, I had no context of the podium or the the podium drivers riding back in in the safety car or whatever and Perez looking confused out the window or whatever um I I thought that was funny uh but I didn't understand the context because I was watching Macau right after that I I was I was in the same situation because once like Max crossed the line I'm like click you went to bed I watched another race Oh, uh, but hey, Max won the the Las Vegas Grand Prix, and that's actually I have to say I didn't 
not expect Max to win that race. I, I actually thought that was one of Max, Max's, probably one of Max's best performances. Like, it was a situation where Max was hindered the entire time and found a way to come back from it. Because there was a period there where it looked like he was out of it. Like, it looked yeah. like he was, he was not going to come back. And I can't remember if he got a, a very, like a lucky safety car, maybe a virtual safety car, but, but something helped him get back into that race, and, and then the rest was him. But the fact of the matter was, uh, of, of it was when you look where Leclerc and Perez finished in comparison to Max, it was, well, it was under a second, wasn't it? I think it was like nine tenths yeah, they were, of a second. They were catching them. They were catching them. They were there. So it wasn't, it, it was, it was not like it was a cakewalk for Max. Max had to fight tooth and nail to get this victory. And I think that's what made it so much fun. That's what I like. That's what I always say with the sprint races. Make the pole sitter start tenth, so that we can watch Max Verstappen have fifteen laps on a given track to drive from tenth first. That's fun, okay? That's fun, okay? Max Verstappen starting first and finishing first in two races that are basically the same thing is not fun. This was fun, and also it was fun because Signs had to do the same. He was at a similar yeah. disadvantage. And he was coming through the field. Um, yeah. it, it, it was fun. And, and then, again, talking more about how much I, I, I enjoyed this. I, I actually have to say I loved the fact that nobody knew what the tires were going to do. And it was all just a giant game of chicken on, on the hitboxes. Yeah. And it was glorious. And Leclerc making those mediums go as long as he did. And then just... Managing to hang on and then and for stopping using up his tires sooner than I thought he would. I was like, what? I've never seen this before. I've never seen this in Formula One. Well, I have, but it's not since a couple of years ago, right? It's been not since this new these new regulations. Uh so it was very, very, uh, very nice, uh, very happy, very good, good, enjoyable race. Um outstanding performance, Josh. Who are you gonna give it to this week? I'm going to give a shout out to Esteban Ocon. Uh, first top five since Monaco. Uh, good, 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 good result for him, especially since uh, his teammate Pierre Gasly has been cranking out some really good points finishes uh, since we returned. I know it's it's been, gosh, uh, two months, a little over two months since we returned from the holiday break or the summer break for F1. But Pierre Gasly was you know cranking out some really good. Points finishes, and it's good to see Ocon get he finished fourth in the race. Um, yeah, just 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 good shout out to him and and Alpine. Hopefully, moving in a good good direction for twenty twenty four. My outstanding performance is, uh, in all honesty, it's, I'm, I'm giving it to Sergio Perez. I mean, he ran a race uh, that was so different than he's run the majority of the season. It looked more like how he was at the start of the season. Um, and even though he lost second place at the at the last possible minute, yes. There was no there was there was never a situation where Perez was going to win that race. Uh and and well, I mean, there was never a situation where I thought at the beginning that Perez had a, even a stone's toss chance to win the race. I had written him off. I had said it's going to be either Leclerc or Verstappen. I said, I, I already knew that. It's going to be Leclerc, it's going to be Verstappen. Uh, and I was right, but 
I didn't account for Perez leading a bunch of laps, and that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did very well. And he, I mean, things just happened at the very end of that. I mean, I, I just, I was very impressed. I was just very if, impressed with how he drove that race. If the F1 calendar was primarily street courses, Sergio Perez would be a world champion. Well, maybe so, but I still enjoyed that. And hey, I, I'm gonna also say, uh, Lance Stroll finishing P5. Did you see that coming, Josh? I did not have that number no, called on, on my, my bingo, bingo card. card. No, yeah, that that was uh, that was probably maybe the shock of the weekend. Yeah, I don't went. Ha, I, it, I don't remember the last time Lance Stroll finished ahead of Alonso, but in a while he finished quite ahead of Alonso. He was the major. He scored the majority of points for, uh, for for Aston, Aston Martin. Martin. And then, of course, I wanted to say if if qualifying was the race, I would have given it to Logan Sargent, who had an incredible qualifying. Att- I mean, made it to Q three, dude. Uh, well, made it to Q three. Didn't Albon make it to Q three too? Yes, but Logan Sargent made it to Q3, and that's what's more important. Started sixth, was in the top 10 for like the first 15 laps on pace alone, and then his tires started to go away, and then everything kind of fell apart for him. But if qualifying was the race, he would have been looking pretty good. But hey, hey man, it it is what it is. He's showing promise, you know, and... and As, as I've said for a while, you know, I think he's very good. I think he's very talented. I think he's one of the, one of the more talented drivers. It's so hap- I'm so happy to see him in Formula One um, because it's so nice to have an American driver that made it through the ranks uh, of, of Formula One and made it here on merit alone uh, and not because daddy wrote a big check like the majority of the grid says nowadays, you know. Um, and, well, maybe daddy wrote a big check, but... Not as big of a check as maybe other people are writing, you know? Right. Um, and so it's, it's good to see him go out there and at, at the very least show that he does have pace. Because I think that's what a lot of people have been knocking him on, is him not having pace, him not being able to stand up to Albon. When in reality, he can. I mean, he is and he can. He's just a rookie and he's learning. Still. I mean, you can say, oh, well, he should have learned by now. And I'm like, well, yeah, but remember that this guy had to fight and claw his way through F3 up into F2. It was not easy. So, you know, give him, give him credit where credit's due. So, all right, Josh, I'm going to turn things over to you, and you're going to go ahead and take us home with Roller's Featured Season. I am so excited for this. This is one of my favorite, favorite seasons of all time. I absolutely love this season. I will always and forever love this season. This is my hands-down favorite season of American Open Wheel Racing in anything, period. I mean, 2010 IndyCar Series comes pretty close, but this, this is, this is top dog right here. This is it, it. Won't you won't get better than this? Well, I'm gonna have a very very brief summary on it. Um, sounds like Rob's got a future segment in in, in hand here, and maybe to talk more in depth about this. Uh, but the last time uh, the I talked about last week, you know, the Caesars Palace Grand Prix, F1's first uh, foray into Las Vegas. Well, the last time the streets of Las Vegas saw a major racing series was not 1984. Uh, it was 2007 
and that occurred in the final season of Champ Car, a season which spanned 14 races from April to November, in which race one was the Vegas Grand Prix, won by my favorite, Will Power, in what was his first career IndyCar victory. So there you go. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais then went on a three-race tear, winning at Long Beach, Reliant Stadium, which I think is what it was at NRG Stadium now in, in Houston or something else. Yeah, it's it's something what else. What the Texans now. play? What the Houston Texans play? The Houston I think Texans that's still stadium. NRG Stadium. Well, it's it, I don't know if it's the NRG Astrodome anymore, but I do know that the Astrodome is being uh, converted into a – because it, it got saved as a yeah. historical landmark. Thank the good Lord because I love the yep. Astrodome. Yep. I would love to see professional sports return there, but that's not going to happen. I'm just glad that they didn't tear it down. I take right. what I can get. The fact of the matter is they didn't tear down the Astrodome. That's all I cared about. Right. <laughs> right. So he went on a three-race tear, winning Long Beach, where the Houston Texans played in Houston. Uh, and then Portland International Raceway, which took place nearly two months after the Houston race. So he won like back-to-back weekends, then took two months off, uh, the series did, and then won a, uh, Portland. Uh, pa- uh, Rob's favorite, Paul Tracy, uh, won race five at <laughs> Cleveland's. Burke Lakefront Airport. He chuckles and rolls his eyes. He knows I'm joking. Uh, race six was at Montreblanc, won by Robert Dornbus. Uh, Toronto was race seven. That was won by Will Power two. Uh, Bourdais won race. Bourdais won race eight at Edmonton City Center Airport. So you had a little uh, three race stint up in our, our neighbors to the north there. Uh, San Jose. Ooh, that's not good. Screen went black. There we go. It's back. Oh, hello. Oh, uh, hello. Uh, the San Jose Street Street Race. Uh, that was race nine. Uh, also run by one run by. It was run by. Rob was run by. One by Robert Dornbus. Uh, race Bobby. ten occurred. Uh, race ten occurred at Road America. Bourdais won that one. Races eleven and twelve were in Europe, taking place at Circuit. Zolder and Zolder. and Assen, where uh, Bourdais won, where Bourdais won race eleven, and uh, Justin Wilson won race twelve. Race thirteen, Surfers Paradise Street Circuit, the one we all want back. Uh, Bourdais won that one, uh, and then he also won race fourteen, final race of the season at uh, Autodromo Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez in Mexico City. Uh, he walked away. Bourdais walked away with the uh, championship, his fourth career champ car in what is also considered a fourth career IndyCar championship by 83 points over Justin Wilson. Uh, his fourth straight, I also should add, because um, he won He won the last four championships that, that champ car had. Uh, three races were planned and canceled for this season. The streets of Denver uh, was canceled after it had been run since 2002. Uh, the Chinese Champ Car Grand Prix was canceled after a relocated date failed to get FIA approval. Uh, I believe that was supposed to be supposed to be in uh, October, and FIA never said, "Yep, you can do it." Uh, and then the Grand Prix Arizona, which would have been contested on the streets of Phoenix, was ultimately canceled as well. And I believe that was supposed to be maybe the season finale race as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, supposed the fourteen race season was originally supposed to be seventeen races. Uh, and run from February to December, not April to November. So, 
Very, very quick snapshot of the last time a season in the United States hosted a race in Las Vegas, albeit on the streets. Rob, what's in the windshield? Yeah, I love talking about the 2007 Champ Car Championship. It, it's, it's, if you ever get a chance, Josh, to like sit down, this is because this is something I did in high school. When I was in high school, someone was uploading all of the 2007 Champ Car races, and I watched them all from start to finish. Like, I binge-watched them before binge-watching was a thing. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could not get enough of these races. They were so fun and so entertaining, and they sounded cool. They looked cool. Um, Bobby D., uh, you know, you had all the, you had Bourdais, you had Ray Hall, you had Willie P. I mean, you had all, PT was, was still giving people crap. Uh, you had all the cool guys, all the old guys, all the young guys. It was, I mean, yeah, there was a bunch of pay drivers too, but also you had Catherine Legg and that's kind of fun. Um, you know, it, it was just in general a fun little season. And I, I always really liked, even though I'm always a guy who loves ovals and I always will love ovals no matter what. I loved this season of Champ Car. And as happy as I am that we have a unified season, unified series now, unified open wheel series, I always have a strong, I'll always sit there and wonder what if Champ Car ran in 2008? Where would we, where would we be? What would be different? You know, um, if anything at all. So Because the yeah, final always, Champ Car race did take place in 08. Yes, but it was not, yeah. a, it yeah. was sanctioned well, by IndyCar. Yeah. It was not sanctioned by Champ Car. It did not have the... I mean, it, it was Champ Car in name only. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yes, they ran the Champ Car chassis, but that's because they weren't going to... They weren't going to make these people run IndyCar chassis on a race that they had already... They had these chassis for. So. Right. But hey, man. Gotta love... I, I, I always... If you ever also get a chance to look at uh, the prototype of what the DP01 oval setup looks like looks pretty rad and i recommend everybody try and look up a picture of it right now uh because there was a time when they were unifying they didn't know whether to go with the delara or the the panos chassis that was run by by champ car and panos don panos uh that that company basically came up with an oval version of the dp01 and it's badass it looks amazing. It looks about as cool as you think it would look. The oval chassis of that. So, and it's it never it's never really resurfaced. Like all the vintage races I've seen, it's always always got the road course setup on it. But there's pictures of it in in a wind tunnel and 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 of it stripped down of what what the chassis would look like. And if only, man, what could have been? What could have been? V8 turbocharged. DPO1s running around Indianapolis Motor Speedway at 230 miles an hour. What could have been, Josh? All right, let's look at what's in the windshield, so we'll wrap things up. So Supercars is finishing up this weekend. Uh, Jack Smith is, is, is stepping away, so goodbye to the GOAT. Who, who, now who else will show up in P25, refuse to elaborate, and leave? Who else now? Anyway, we'll see him. We'll see him off. The Adelaide 500 is this weekend. Uh, and then also this weekend, the Formula One race in Abu Dhabi is this weekend, which is, people can hate it for what it is, but let's be honest. I like this aesthetically just just a little bit more 
then I like the Las Vegas Grand Prix. I'm sorry. That's sacrilege. I'm an American saying a nice thing about an Arab country. I'm sorry, but I, I don't know. I just like Abu Dhabi. I think it's cool. I think it looks cool. It's it, You're running around a marina. How is that not cool? I don't think that's, it's wrong to say it's cool. It'd be cool I, I, anywhere. I, if, well, wherever I, I, it was saw, I saw people on Twitter like posting that Brazil would be a better finale. And it's like, I'm not denying that. But you can't sit here and objectively tell me that Abu Dhabi isn't a track you'd like to go to at least one point. At one point, to it see is a aesthetically race. pleasing. Yes, it is very aesthetically pleasing. Like if you could go there in a bubble, right, and not have to deal with being in the UAE, you would do it, right? Everybody would do it, right? I think so. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap things up. Thank you guys for lis- listening to this week's show. Uh, we really had a lot of fun talking about it. We are we are winding down, though. We are winding down. So we're only going to have a couple more shows after this. So get, get your listening fixes in. Get your fixes in. Because uh, after a while, it's just going to be a New Year's special before before Daytona rolls around, before the Formula E season starts, all that fun stuff. So uh, remember to uh, go ahead and subscribe to us if you haven't already. We're on all your major pod course, podcast platforms. Uh, we're, wherever you can find us, Spotify, Apple, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Google Podcasts. Uh, Amazon, Amazon Music. We're on Amazon Music. You could tell your Alexa to play Robin Roller. In the same regard, you could tell your Google to play Robin Roller. Whatever you want, uh, you can you can make it happen. So remember to follow us on social media if you haven't already. R Peters thirty three Roller underscore zero one Robin Roller. Uh, follow us uh, for Josh Roller. My name is Rob Peters, and this has been the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Have a great week, everybody.